Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly. And pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at EdenWorshipCenter.co. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, This is Pastor Matt and Pastor John uh, doing our first ever live podcast, uh, which is mostly because we had um, church picnic yesterday, so we had church outside, and... Our recording was, I think you could say, awful, just terrible <laughs> in a, a large, large scale. Uh, and so considering that we were not going to be able to do the podcast off of the audio, we usually catch the audio off of our live stream. Uh, I asked Pastor John if he would mind preaching again his entire <laughs> sermon over. Uh, so if you weren't able to join us yesterday, uh, you get to hear the sermon. If you were able to join us yesterday... Uh, this is a lot like purgatory, where you've already paid for your sins, and then you have to pay. <laughs> All right, we said we were doing this live, and then I said stupid things right off the bat. Uh, no, we we want to give you an opportunity to hear, because uh, we've been talking about, uh, in our adult Sunday school class, deacons. And so, John, we had talked a little bit about deacons, and you'd been teaching the class. So yes. uh, tell us a little bit about some of the thought process and what we were thinking about beforehand. Yeah, with... Uh the class it's about unity within the church and so within the the format of the class it was what are some of the things that god has given to the church to help maintain that unity and uh, amongst many of the other things like fellowship and worship uh, it talked about the offices the the specific roles that god lays out in scripture uh, of elder and deacon and that those offices were given for leadership and for maintaining the unity within the church, uh, which isn't often how we view, especially deacon ministry. Right, right. Uh, but in that class, because we were talking about these these roles that God has given to the church, one of the questions came up, well, why don't we have deacons? Yeah. And, uh, uh, which is I, a good question since our church has been around for 30 years. Yes, yes. So, Which is relatively new, but 30 <laughs> years, you're like, why don't you have it figured out yet? Yeah, if we're talking about it now. <laughs> uh, and, and you and I had talked before that, hoping that that would lead into somebody asking that question. Right. And so we, our diabolical scheme worked. Somebody did ask the question, why don't we have deacons? Uh, and so we've talked about it some since then. And this seemed to be a good time to go ahead and start talking to the congregation as a whole since uh, Sunday school is just a, a small portion of the congregation. Yeah. Uh, this was a good chance to talk to the congregation as a whole about deacon ministry and the importance and purpose of it. Well, and lay out part of the argument from Scripture rather than just, uh, I think a lot of us have uh, previous church experience, current church experience, where we say, well, this is how we did it. This is what deacons were in the church I grew up in, Mm -hmm. uh, or this is the terrible abuse that came out of that or neglect or, you know, whatever, where it's so easy in the church for us to do things out of tradition that are not biblical. Right. So wanting to go back to scripture and let scripture define how we're approaching every aspect of the church, 
It's well, it's a lot like my shirt here, Semper Reformanda. <laughs> Always reforming. Always reforming. But, nice, nice shirt, by the thank way. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we should mention our official sponsor of the EWC podcast <laughs> is Five Alone. Uh, oh, nice shirt that you have, John. <laughs> thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. And where could people get these shirts if they decided to do so? From uh, fivealone.com. Number five, I-V-E alone. I-V-E alone, <laughs> which is kind of like when uh, Kara leaves the house and John is all alone. <laughs> all alone. All right. Uh, anyway, so John makes those shirts. So if you want one, uh, there's a whole bunch of them that you can get. I mean, most of them are like heavy metal 80s shirts, but there's a few that have to do with the Reformation and Reformed theology. I think you'll like them. Uh, so, John, why don't you walk us through a little bit of what you talked about yesterday or a lot of bit of what you talked about yesterday. <laughs> All righty. Uh, and we'll just turn it over to you and maybe I'll pop in and ask some questions in the middle. Okay. okay. Uh, A.K.A. disrupt you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I started off sharing a, a story to help people kind of understand the big need for deacons within within a church. Uh, talked about a, a small town that was having budget issues, and so they had to cut their budget, they were reworking it, and as a result, their fire department was reduced to the fire chief. And the fire chief was uh, sitting in the station one day, a call came in for a fire, so he hopped in the truck, ran off to take care of the fire. He arrived there, it was an apartment building, he parked the truck, jumped out of the truck, lugged his hose over to the fire hydrant, then ran back to the truck to get the, the wrench and the connectors, Ran back over, got the fire hydrant and the hose connected, ran back to the truck, got the water pump going to regulate water flow, then realized he needed to get the ladder in position. So he was working on getting ladder in position when he realized the water pump wasn't working. So he ran back to get that water pump uh, working. Uh, by that time, he's like, I need to see about survivors. Uh, so he's taking a breath, running to see about survivors and realized, oh, I haven't put the fire out yet. So he grabbed the water hose, turned the water hose on. It starts flopping all over because of the pressure. He realizes he can't handle the hose by himself. So he just lets it go. He's like, I've got to check on survivors. <clears throat> and about that time, he realizes that the building is a lost cause anyway. It is burning to the ground. Uh, he can't get in there, but he looks around and he notices that all the tenants did make it out. They're laying all over the grass. Some are badly injured. Some have bad burns. Others are, need oxygen from smoke inhalation. And some of them had to lay there over an hour waiting for him to finally get to them. There's an inquest later on by the town council uh, with the fire and everything that happened. Uh, and the town council decided the best course of action was to fire the fire chief because the building should have never burnt to the ground. He should have had that fire under control. And the fact that people had to lay on the ground waiting for him to get to them to tend to the wounded. And... Uh, I think most people would agree that if that were a true story, <laughs> the town council made a very poor decision. Uh, and unfortunately, that is often how churches uh, view and, and treat pastors and, and even elders. Uh, that there's all these things that are going on, but the pastor needs to take care of it all. He needs to lug the hose. He needs to regulate the water pressure. He needs to to handle the hose. He needs to handle the ladder. He needs to tend to the wounded. He needs to rescue the survivors. Uh, and it's just not possible, even in smaller churches, it's just not possible for one or even just a small handful of men to do all of that. Uh, what will usually end up happening is uh, the pastor either doesn't get everything done, and if he does get everything done, 
it's done poorly. Uh, and the early church recognized this uh, in the book of Acts chapter 6. It says that uh, there arose a complaint among the Hellenist uh, Christians there. So there was people named Helen or what, what are Hellenists? <laughs> uh, the Hellenists were uh, Jews with a Greek background. Oh, uh, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Aren't I helpful? You know, because <laughs> Greek and Helen, I mean, they sound so similar. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, so the, they were Jews with a Greek background who were typically looked down upon by the, the Hebrew Jews. Uh, but these, these Hellenists and these Hebrews all became Christians. And, you know, we would like to think that when they all became Christians that everything else was... It's just rainbows and kitties and unicorns, uh, but there still was some, uh, a little bit of tension between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Man, aren't you glad it's not like that today? I am. I mean, no, I no so tension, glad. no division None between whatsoever. people. Yeah, it's None great. Whatsoever. Praise God. I don't know what we would do if there was. Yeah, it'd be awful. Uh, we might have to get deacons or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, the the complaint was that the in the distribution of food to all the widows that the Hellenist widows were being overlooked. And so the apostles were like, okay, we got to do something about this. And they said, it's, it's not desirable that we should leave the preaching of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So they said, so they it says they called all the disciples together, said, choose out from among yourselves seven men who are full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And they said, when you choose these seven men, then we, the apostles, will appoint them to this task. And at first reading, when he says, it's not good for us to wait to, to not preach so that we can wait on tables, it seems kind of like a hoity-toity kind of statement. Um, you know, kind of like, oh, so you want other people to do this grunt work while you sip your lattes all day. Right. Uh, but when you look at the text, that is not now, at all. Did they what's have going lattes on. back then? Um, I think so. I, there was, was a coffee shop in Jerusalem called Hebrews. Um, I, re I regret even bringing that. <laughs> As we both take a drink of our coffee now. Absolutely <laughs> awful. We apologize to everyone who's <laughs> been watching. We're going to restart the podcast <laughs> now. Uh, so, so that the passage you're referencing is uh, Acts chapter six, yes. where the apostles in verse three say, "Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word." So, they, it wasn't a cop out that they right. were saying, like, "Hey, we're we're too important to do stuff like this." Right, but sort of recognizing within the church there are a whole bunch of things that are all important. Yes. But it's super important that each one does what God has made them to do, called them to do. Yes. Uh, so it would, even though the apostles could have been the ones delivering food, like we're, we're mm -hmm. going to track through there and see Stephen doing, uh, number one, that would have blocked Stephen from what God had called him to do. Mm -hmm. And it meant they wouldn't have done as good a job preaching the word. And I think we're all yes. pretty glad that the apostles devoted themselves to preaching the word because it's the record of that that we have as our yes, New Testament. Absolutely. So, yeah. Good. Uh, and so they, they actually considered this taking care of the widows important enough to say, we need men to do this. 
uh, and they also considered important enough that they it wasn't just we need men to do this we need men who are godly mm-hmm. um, this wasn't just some grunt task this this was ministering to the saints but it's also important to note that this occurred because there was uh, the grumblings of disunity within the church and so we see that the apostles were calling for these godly men to to do this task of service not simply because they needed somebody to hand out bread they needed men who could act as shock absorbers and peacemakers to help maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace as uh, paul says in a Ephesians 4. Yeah. What do you mean by shock absorbers? Uh, shock absorbers are those where when things are coming I'm just against, thinking as a pastor, <laughs> how many times people just want to run over you? <laughs> <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> you know, Do it again. We got shock absorbers. Shock absorber. That's what you're there for. I'm assuming that's not what you mean. I hope it's not how people take it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you walk out of the office first today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're the ones who are there that... When the first rumblings of uh, complaints are coming, that they're the ones who will step in and say, okay, what needs can we take care of that apparently are not being met? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that enables um, the elders to continue ministering through the preaching of the word and through prayer uh, as these deacons take care of particular needs uh, that may not be being met right uh, that, sort of that first line of defense in yes. uh, I mean anytime somebody's struggling with something you can have you can have a member of the church who's who's wrestling with something difficult and <clears throat> let's face it usually feels a little bit unloved uncared for even bent out of shape a little bit uh, sometimes that's based on reality sometimes it's based on perception mm-hmm. either way uh, God has given ministry leaders in the church, men specifically uh, tasked by God to be that initial line of how can we help you? How can we love you? Yes. Uh, how can we uh, equip and put other people in the path to be loving you, serving you as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, which it, that's what we actually see in Acts 6 there. Yes. That, okay, so where is the problem? What's the need? Uh, how do we fix the problem? How do we meet the need and mm-hmm. not feel like we have to do it all ourselves? Even though... Yes. That may be the primary shock absorber. Uh, after that, you're wanting the whole rest of the car to roll. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. So, good. Yeah. Good. And again, it's important to note that these men, that's why uh, Peter said, we want men of good reputation, full of spirit and full of wisdom, because it was so much more than just, hey, we need somebody to hand out bread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then... Uh, these men would later on in the life of the church uh, be what we would call deacons. Yeah. Good. So, uh, and that's where we see Paul uh, laying that out in the book of First Timothy. Uh, he's in the in First Timothy. He is laying out uh, the qualifications first for elders. Uh, you know what we would say today are pastors, but really pastors are just elders as well. Uh, so he's talking about church church governance, which when you put it that way doesn't sound real exciting. Uh, <laughs> church governance, woohoo! Let's talk about it. Uh, but so he lay, he's laying out these qualifications for elders in First Timothy three. First Timothy three, yeah. yes. Uh, for those of you following along at home, <laughs> and that's verses one through seven for elders. 
Uh, and then he picks up in verse 8, and again, it, it shows us, well, he says, beginning in verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And, you know, the word deacon itself means servant. And so we sometimes get the idea that, you know, within the church, you know, you have the regular people, then you have deacons, then you have elders, and then pastors right there. Uh, but for one, all of the qualifications for I a personally deacon, see myself as a servant, but I, I mean, I, you know, Pastor John on yes. top. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's how I see it. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm a servant. Uh, but isn't it funny? That's how people look. I was thinking when you were uh, starting talking about people expecting like that fire chief uh, mm -hmm. pastors to do it all. Uh, if you back up from that, people expect the church to do it all, mm -hmm. but they boil it down to, well, it's the pastor who should take care of me or it's yeah. the elders who should take care of me. Uh, they're missing mm -hmm. that whole sense of one another. Like God has joined us yes. one another, which I don't know. It may be because I listened to the sermon, but it kind of feels like we may <laughs> end up there today. Maybe so. Maybe. Maybe one so. Another. One anothering. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the fact is all of the qualifications that he lays out for deacon are exactly the same as those for an elder other than elders are supposed to be able to teach. And so he kind of drives a nail in the coffin of this whole thing of this hierarchy of value within the church um, when it comes to uh, the roles of elder and deacon. Uh, and he even drives a nail in the coffin of the church hierarchy as far as value in people later on, uh, as we'll see. But he really starts here with... Uh, deacons and elders, there, there's no difference between their qualifications yeah. other than elders are to, to, to be able to teach. And with all those qualifications, uh, again, he's really making the point that deacons are so much more than just servants as we would think of Oh, they're just a servant. Yeah. Um, whereas, of course, Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest among you, be the servant of all. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we're going to be looking at it in any, any kind of way, well, the servants are the greatest of all. Uh, but so with, when he did, starts digging into these qualifications for deacon, uh, the first one, he says, is that deacons are to be dignified. Uh, and, you know, we, we think of dignity sometimes as the people who stand with their chins out, their shoulders back, you know. Uh, but what Paul is getting at is these are men who are uh, honorable in the way they treat, uh, treat other people. They're respectable in how they uh, engage with other people uh, and how they engage in activities on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, are they worthy to be esteemed in the eyes of people? Uh, I guess practically speaking, uh, 
are they typically crude in how they speak or in how they joke around? Uh, are they mature? Uh, and it seems strange sometimes to talk about, well, is that 30-year-old man mature? Right. Um, we know in our culture today, <laughs> that is a question to be asked, even of 30-year-old men. Um, now, for those of us who are, you know, well past our 30s, everybody knows we're dignified and mature. So it's not really, <laughs> really a question that needs to be asked of us. Right. But So is this saying that they should be, you know, reserved and kind of that stuffy and uh, maybe wear a tie all the time? <laughs> like what's, what is he pointing at in dignified there? Yeah, I think he is, if, as we'll see through all of these qualifications, it's about his character. Um, so they could wear a shirt and a tie, but it still doesn't say anything about their That's character. Right. Yeah. Uh, it still doesn't say anything about their character. And as, as far as being stuffy uh, and stoic, um, I think that's more a, a personality thing uh, than is he being dignified. Uh, I think that with being dignified, it's an understanding of what is appropriate in the situation uh, to be said or to be done. Uh, yeah, and, good. and I think that's, the, that, that's at the heart of dignified, uh, is understanding at the heart what is appropriate and what is not appropriate to be said or done in this situation. Good. Uh, yeah, one of the other descriptors that we find in the New Testament is that they are to be sober-minded. Yes. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're no fun to be around. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, you know, everything is just... I don't know. It's that idea of just super restrictive. But I, I think one of the things that we tend to do is we're bringing our cultural experience, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, our experience with different people in our lives, uh, and we're applying that to the scripture where, I mean, making the comment about ties, ties didn't exist yeah. in this culture. You know, so you can't say, well, here's what's appropriate for uh, a pastor, an elder, a deacon to wear to church. They, they mm -hmm. have to wear a suit and tie. Well, those didn't exist. They, in yeah. fact, in Greek cultures, they probably wore a toga. So if your elder or your pastor <laughs> showed up on a Sunday wearing a toga, you'd be like, what has gone wrong with our church? I have a kilt. I could, I could give it a try. Do you really have a kilt? I do. I do. That is epic. I've always wanted a kilt. I mean, I would wear it in a very dignified, <laughs> sober-minded manner. But yeah, good. Yeah, I, and I guess... One practical way to look at it is, does the guy know when the situation calls for not telling a joke and when it's okay to joke around? Yeah. Uh, that's a, a measure of maturity. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, now's not the time to make that comment. Right. Uh, to be funny. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I just got kilt on my mind now. <laughs> so. Uh, but uh, after saying that he needs to be dignified, he also says uh, that uh, a deacon should not be double-tongued. And I've seen people who do that. They get their like their tongue split. Yes. And then there's like two. It's awful. It's terrible. D. Snyder might have done that. Don't do it. So you know, twisted sister <laughs> guy. Um, not dignified. <laughs> not, not dignified at all. Uh, all right. So, so that's not what he's talking about. So not what, is, what he's talking what about. What does double-tongued mean? Uh, most simplistically, he means a liar, uh, somebody who is dishonest, um, or somebody who will say one thing to one group of people and go and say something else to another group of people. In other words, he has 
one tongue over here and another tongue over there. Yeah. Um, or the guy who says, yeah, I can do that. I will take care of that. And then he's like, I told you I would. You don't have to remind me every three months. You know, that, that kind of a guy. I hope you're listening to this, honey. Uh... <laughs> you don't have to tell me every three months. I said I'd do it. Uh, you know, is, is he reliable? Is he a man of his word? Uh, when he says he's going to do something, does he get it done? Uh, does he say the same thing no matter who is listening, no matter who he is with? Uh, you know, he's not double tongued. He, he speaks one way and that's it. Right. Uh, and it's the truth. Yeah. So, which was important in <clears throat> their time. I think it's super important in our time where there's lots of cultural pressure on Christians, churches, pastors to think about things, talk about things in a certain way that's culturally, uh, politically appropriate Mm-hmm. when the Bible's super clear on some things. So, I mean, whether it's his stance on uh, what God says is right or wrong, his stance on how God is to be worshipped, uh, or even just how he communicates with people. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm always telling people, I only have one drum to beat. That's it. Yes. Like, I, I have one message, and that's the gospel. Yeah. That's that we're sinners, that our sin has... Uh, been so pervasive, so staining that we are separated from God. All of us, every single one of us, especially in talking with husbands and wives, it's both of you. Mm -hmm. And your only hope is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, confession, repentance, asking for help, uh, God's forgiveness, uh, God's restoration. That's all we got. That's the literally the end of the story. Yes. Yes. It keeps us from being double tongued when our, Central focus is the gospel. Yes, absolutely. And it, one of my favorite quotes is when it comes to things like that, people are always wanting something else, something different, something new. Uh, and it's that there is no new truth. There's simply old truth that you haven't obeyed yet. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, not double tongue. This is the only answer we have. There is nothing new. There's only the old truth that we have to obey today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. put into practice today. So, yeah, so he's supposed to be dignified, not double-tongued, and then uh, not addicted to much wine, which obviously is another one of those passages, just like one where he gets to later on, that there's disagreement, controversy over. Uh, there's two things he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, does not drink wine, and he doesn't say, does not drink too much wine. He says, not addicted to much wine. Um, So he he doesn't say anything uh, because, again, he's looking at the character of the man, not just the actions. Right. And so in saying not addicted to much wine, he's saying not being given over easily to this, uh, not showing a lack of discipline or self-control in this when he says not addicted to much wine. Uh, In other words, he's not a drunkard. so it's, Good. that's a biblical word. Yes. I, I like that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to uh, alcoholic, which is not yes. a biblical word yep. and implies that you're a victim of something. Yeah. No, this is, this is an idol that I have created in my heart it, yep. to fill something, which I, I think for leaders, especially, cause you see the same thing in first Timothy three, uh, one through seven, where he's talking about, um, elders in verse three, he says, not a drunkard. Yeah. So that 
this isn't someone who's a victim of their own passions. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm not creating in my heart an idol that fills yes. this void. Uh, yep. I, it's so important. It is. And it, yeah, it gets to the heart of the issue. It's, it's not the wine or whatever it else it is a person may be addicted to. Yeah. It is. Because it can be work. It, yeah, it can be work. Uh, it could be many things. It could be women. It could be anything that anything. starts with a W. Evidently, <laughs> work, women, wine, weeds. Oh, oh. oh yeah, that would probably work <laughs> oh, yeah. for today too. Yeah. Yes, I was thinking in a garden, but as soon as I said, it, I'm like, oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is anything in which we show a lack of self control in. Yeah. Uh, so again, it even though on the surface when you read it, it may seem like no, he's talking about your actions. No, if he said, don't drink too much wine, then that would be an action. Mm-hmm. But he says, not addicted to. Right. So he's addressing the character of, right. of what's going on and not just the action itself. Yeah. Well, and kind of a spoiler alert, since most of these have to do with uh, Christian character qualities, mm-hmm. uh, there are other places in the New Testament where it talks about drunkenness and, yes. uh, you know, not being drunk with wine. So it's not like not drinking wine, but not being intoxicated yep. with wine, which leads to sin, debauchery, yeah. like rather than honoring God, rather than being uh, dignified, yes, you know, truthful in what we're saying. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's important. So the, the underlying is not drunkenness, mm-hmm. but then also not like caught up in the addiction of trying to fill their life with something Yep. Either something to give them meaning or make the pain go away or make tolerating life tolerable. Yep. Cause, yep. I mean, everybody struggles with stuff like that. Yeah. But but there's a an even higher call that's given to elders and deacons here mm-hmm. that says, we're going to test your life by this. Yes. Rather than just calling you to it, we're going to test your life. Yeah. Which he says at the end of it. You know, yeah. But, yeah. If they're proven. Yep. If they're proven. So, yeah. I, what I want to do is take your 45-minute sermon and jump in and make it about three and a half hours. That's what we're aiming for here. Well, Thanks for joining us. I can aim for that every time I preach. <laughs> <laughs> or not. See, the nice thing with a podcast is people can be fast-forwarding this. Right? <laughs> yes. Blah, 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 talking heads. Skip to the end. Uh, so... Uh, Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, uh, not greedy for dishonest gain is uh, the next thing he talks about. And uh, you, we, we often hear the, the quote, money is the root of all evil, which for those who know the Bible know that that's not actually what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, and that's where uh, Paul is getting at here as well. Um, are they greedy for dishonest gain? Do they have a love of money? Uh, are they always looking for the next great thing to bring in loads of cash? But even so, they're not allowed to be TV preachers. That's what you're saying. No, no TV <laughs> t- TV preachers need apply. Uh, uh, but we would we would also miss the point if we thought this meant. You're not supposed to be rich. That if you're poor, well, then you're not greedy for dishonest gain. That's not true. Right. Um, poor people can be just as greedy and materialistic as rich people. The only difference is the rich people can act upon their greed. Yeah. Uh, poor people just covet. Uh, and so rich or poor, <laughs> that's good. It's the same thing. Um, is the person always looking to have more 
than what God has provided them in the now. Um, and how are they using what God has given them in the now? Are they wise with um, the finances that God has blessed them with now? Right. Uh, rather than, uh, yeah, rather than being poor stewards with it. Uh, but yeah, not greedy for dishonest gain. Which is interesting because we just talked about the idol of drunkenness. And I mean, one of the things that I find myself saying frequently to people is you can tell if whatever this gain is in your life, you can tell if it's an idol if you're willing to sin to get it. Yes. Yes. And it, I mean, you look at that greedy for dishonest gain, that, that thing that I have to have, it, it's the desire that's become a demand. Am I willing to sin to get it? Yep. Am I willing to compromise what I know is right, what God's word says? And I don't care what it is. It's dishonest gain at that point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, he gives a pretty broader, uh, broad statement here as a qualification. Sound in faith and life. Uh, he, he says that he, he must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, and, and that's verse nine. Verse nine, yeah. yes. And when when Paul talks about the mystery of the faith, he uses that a fra- that phrase or a phrase much like it in Ephesians and several other spots. Uh, it's it's one of the ways he would just speak of the gospel. Uh, so he's saying they have to hold the gospel uh, uh, with uh, a clear conscience, uh, a sincerity of faith, and a clear conscience. And so. This is where we we really begin to see that this is really more than just grunt work for deacons. Mm -hmm. Um, When it says they need to hold the gospel with a clear conscience, one, you can't really hold something like the gospel if you don't know what it is. Uh, You have to have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. Um, If a man doesn't have a clear understanding of what the gospel is, he's going to have a hard time ministering that gospel to somebody. Uh, And... So we see that the, the end of deacon ministry isn't to make sure they've got bread on their plate. It's to make sure they've been given the gospel and, hey, here, here's some bread for your plate. Yeah. Um, and not just knowing the gospel. He says they need to hold this with a clear conscience. In other words, I know the gospel, I understand the gospel, and I'm applying it to my life. Um, it's not just a knowing, but it's a living it out as well in their life with a clear conscience, knowing by the grace of God, I am living my life according to the gospel that I claim to understand. Uh, so we really see in that statement, this isn't just grunt work. This isn't just putting bread on a plate or a roof on a house. This is being able to minister the gospel to those who are in need. Yeah. Super important distinction, especially since we live in a time where there's a lot of like church growth strategies that talk about as soon as somebody walks in the door of your church, uh, find them a job to do. Mm. And I I think from what you're saying, there there is a distinction between sort of getting people involved in the movement that's happening in your church. Um, But there's a distinction between that. Uh, and someone who is serving in a capacity that is uh, primarily, it, it may even be primarily, like you said, putting a roof on, mm-hmm. but it is gospel centered. Yes. Uh, and I think, I think maybe a good correction to the modern, it seems like just growth strategies, mm-hmm. not spiritual mm-hmm. growth strategies, just numerical, numerical growth strategies, yeah. uh, is 
the goal for every single one of them is deeper and richer in the gospel yes. until they're, they're at the place where uh, their lives are reflecting what they believe. Uh, their mouths have been equipped by mm-hmm. their brains and their hearts to <laughs> share the gospel, whether it's with neighbors, whether it's with other brothers and sisters who are struggling, uh, really evangelical. Yes. But, you know, that gospel centered, which is what that word means. Yeah. Uh, it's centered around <laughs> the gospel. And I think we tend to forget that. We're like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. They're just, they're just helping, you know, serve coffee or something. Right. Know? Right. Uh, and everything we do, we need to be wrapping, yes. not just for ourselves, but, but for people, not assuming that they start there. Uh, it's interesting, assuming that there's more people serving in the church that next thing he's going to say in verse 10 is, and let them first be tested. Yes. <laughs> and then they have to prove blameless, yes. which means we probably don't all start there. Right. Uh, but we're growing together. Hopefully we're mm-hmm. being discipled, which discipled involves having people love us, having people encourage us. Having people correct us. <laughs> That's our favorite part. You know, yeah. the correction. It, usually we, uh, we say, who are you? Who are you to tell me that? Yep. You know, yep. but embracing that, growing in that. So that, yeah, that next one there, which I, I know I'm jumping ahead of you here. Oh, that's fine. Uh, is there tested? Yes. And found blameless. And found blameless. Absolutely perfect. Not, perfect not lacking anything. You want Mary Poppins practically perfect in every way. See, I, we were kind of told as kids, there's a chance she's a witch. So that, that could we be. Should be. <laughs> she might not be found blameless. Then. <laughs> We're just kidding. Only Monty Python says that. And yes. You can also build a bridge out of her. Yes. That's how you know. Okay, so that's not what it's getting at. What, what is blameless getting at? Uh, blameless is he's getting at what is the overarching character of their life. Um, it's kind of the same in John, First John chapter 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Uh, now, reading that in English, it sounds like he's kind of being self-defeating. I'm writing this so you don't sin. But if you do, uh, but in the Greek language, uh, what he's saying is, I'm writing this to you so that you will not live a lifestyle of sin. But if you commit single acts of sin... We have a, an advocate with the Father. So it's it's talking about what is the overarching character of your life. Yeah. Um, is the overarching character of your life that you seek to honor God in how you, how you live, how you speak, how you engage people? And understandably, you're going to have times where you sin. Or is the overarching character of your life that you live life for yourself and you occasionally actually do something that honors God? Um and that, that's what he's getting at. Or it looks like it. Or it looks like God. it anyhow. Yeah. Yes. It, well, you feel really good about yourself and make sure everybody else saw you do it. Yep. I put my check in the offering box. Yeah. Yeah. Look how big it was. Yeah. <laughs> Publisher's Clearinghouse check. Yeah. Is this honoring God? Yeah. Or myself? My Or myself. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not saying that a person has to be perfect and sinless. In fact, in 1 John, it says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the, the truth is not in you. So yeah, it's when people look at the overarching character of your life, that when they, you take your life as a whole, what does your life as a whole look like? A life that seeks to honor God or a life that seeks to indulge yourself? Yeah, good. Uh, 
So that's yeah, when that's what he's saying, uh, proving yourself blameless, that you have proven that yes, you are living a life that by the grace of God, you are striving to honor Him, uh, and and that's why it's important where it says be tested first, and and Paul doesn't give specifics on that. And I guess that's why in elders meeting, we've come up with that 256 page question uh, <laughs> tests for that's how we're going to test them. deacon candidates. That's how we'll know. So, uh, and I think we can safely say that when it comes to testing somebody, it means, you know, we're going to look at their, their background. Uh, we're going to look at their reputation, both within the church and importantly in the community. Um, what is their moral uh, makeup? Uh, what is what do they believe doctrinally? Because um, it, it'd be great that if we have leaders in the church that we're all on the same page, uh, on especially on the essentials yeah. of the faith. Uh, so how are they spiritually mature? Uh, I don't think that uh, you're, a deacon has to be the most spiritually mature person in the congregation. But I do think that a leader has to be at least one step ahead of those who, who's he's, whom he's going to be leading. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, looking at their spiritual maturity, where are they at in their, their walk with Christ? These are, are things that we look at as we're testing them uh, and see in these areas, are they proving that overall they're striving to honor God in these areas and to continue to grow in Christ? So. Good. Then uh, he moves on to say, "Godly wife." Um, he says, "And likewise, their their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things." So that that phrase you mentioned sober earlier, sober-minded, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like her husband; she has to be respectable, uh, deemed uh, worthy of respect. Um, the same kind of dignity; she needs to be dignified, just just like her husband should be. Uh, it talks about. Um, temperate, sober-minded. You know, is she able to make uh, sound judgments in matters? Uh, so is, why does that matter? Well, uh, any man who is married and who is honest <laughs> will admit that his decisions and a lot of times even his outlook on things are impacted by his wife, which, it, as it should be, I mean, that's why God put us together to help balance, balance out. Yeah. Uh, and so... Since a person in leadership who is married is going to be influenced by his wife, probably a good idea that his wife is influenced by Scripture and her yeah. own decision-making and, and her own outlook, that she too is filtering everything through the lens of Scripture so that when she, she and her husband are talking, he's being influenced continually in the direction of what does the Bible say? What mm -hmm. what do, would God want in the situation? Because uh, a lot of people think, well, it, it doesn't. She's not the one in the deacons meeting. It doesn't matter what she says. Or, but no, she has a a very big influence on her husband. Again, as it should be. Yeah. Um, well, they see things we don't. Yes. They generally feel things that we don't. Yes. And Danielle, don't listen right now. They're generally <laughs> quicker to pick up on things that we're just oblivious to. <laughs> yep. And yeah, it's, I, that's why the scripture describes it as a helpmate relationship. Yes. That they, I think most honest guys, again, would say, I wouldn't be 
anywhere that I am if it wasn't for her. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she has done that God honoring role of lifting up her husband, enabling him to do what God's called him to do. Mm-hmm. And that's just beautiful. Yes. We'd be fools if we missed that. We would be. Uh, we but would be. so important, whether it is, and you find this other places talking about elders as well, elders and deacons, uh, the role of their wife, I, I think, as not only influencing them, but as far as looking at their own longevity, mm-hmm. uh, if mm-hmm. you have a guy who's trying to serve and feeling like he has a wife who's maybe a little bit unequally yoked, uh, maybe she's not in the same place in her spiritual walk with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe she's really been burned by the church or church members in the past. And so she has a real sort of negative angle on everything yeah. that happens. It's not going to take long before his heart is just burned out and empty. Yes. And and he's he's probably not only going to wash out of being a deacon or an elder, he's probably going to wash out of the church. Yeah. And it, man, just as far as safeguarding our leaders, especially mm-hmm. since Paul said that the leaders are actually God's gift to the church Yeah, to build yeah. up, to equip the saints. Uh, we need to protect them. Yes. You know? And, and that's part why of that means examining what that relationship looks like. Yeah. And, and that's why it's important when people talk about praying for their church leaders, you need to be praying for the the wives as well, not just the leaders, but their wives. I mean, they are one flesh. Yeah. Um, the wives need just as much prayer as the leaders do. So what about this sticky part next? Where he, he says, let deacons, verse 11, verse 12, um, each be the husband of one wife. It'd be helpful if I would look at it. Whenever. Each be of one wife managing their children and their own households well. So what happens if you have a deacon or even an elder or a pastor whose children aren't Christians, aren't walking with God. Mm. Does that disqualify them from being a, a deacon or elder or pastor? And that is a good, good question. And there are churches that hold to that view of it, that if a, um, if a man's children aren't saved, then he's not qualified to be a, an elder or a deacon. Now that, I think that is ignoring the fact that man is not sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, A man cannot cause his children to be saved. What a man can do, and I think what this verse is saying uh, is he is managing his children and household well. In other words, he is consistently, diligently pointing them to Christ. He is consistently, diligently uh, leading them spiritually. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, if, if somebody, if a sailor is going to teach somebody how to sail, um, they'll teach them all the terms they need to know. Then they'll take them to the, the ship or the boat and show them all the, the different tackle and every, everything they need to be able to handle and use. Uh, they'll show them how to rig the boat, how to set the sail, how to operate the rudder. But at the end of it, that sailor, that teacher, that's all he can do. He can't make the boat go. I mean, no matter how hard he blows on the sail, it's not going to make the boat go. Right. Uh, but he's been a good teacher. He has equipped his student with everything they need to know to sail. But until the wind blows, right. the boat's going to sit there. Right. And uh, it's only the Holy Spirit that does that. That it's blows only the on the heart of the individual. Yeah. That opens their eyes to see the glory of Christ, to trust in him. Yes. Uh, we can't make our kids do that. I mean, as much as we want for our kids, our grandkids, um, 
we can't make them do that by our faith. We can't right. transfer faith to them like that. Yep. Um, we, yet, we can teach them to set their sails and that's it. That's right. That That's all we have. Uh, and so that I think that's what it's, it's saying is, are you equipping and training your children in such a way that when the Holy Spirit moves upon them, they are primed and ready? Yeah. Uh, have they been a faithful, diligent manager? Yes. Not savior. Not savior, yeah. <laughs> manager. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think there's a good distinction there uh, between our children and our wives. So mm-hmm. if you're bringing on a deacon or an elder, because these were written to help Timothy as he's going around to these different churches, these these sort of new gatherings of believers that have only been around for a short time. And he's saying, right, look for those who are actually walking out the qualities of being a true Christian. Mm -hmm. And as you're identifying them, as you're placing them in, uh, look for a godly wife alongside. Yes. Now we don't get to pick, we don't get to see what our kids are going to turn out like. Right. Uh, So you can pick a husband with a godly wife to start with, but we may not know what the nature of the character of those children are. Yeah. But if he is being faithful, if he is being diligent in that, uh, I, I think that's success. Yes. As far as the scripture defines success with moms and dads. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't we don't get to choose salvation for our kids. No, we don't. Sadly. Yes. Yes. Actually, I'm super glad we don't. Because <laughs> if their salvation was just based on either my diligence or my intelligence. Oh. oh, what a crushing weight that would be. <laughs> I don't think any of my kids would get saved. Yeah. If it was up to how well I did. Yeah. yeah. But it's God who sovereignly calls. Yes. That's good news. I'm glad that he uses flawed vessels. Yeah. Well. So the last, last verse, verse 13. <laughs> I, I'm totally hijacking his notes, by the way. <laughs> Uh, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, uh, also great confidence in faith that is in Christ Jesus. So mm-hmm. there's something important about the reputation of a deacon or an mm-hmm. elder. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Like, why does why does reputation matter, especially in a, a modern time where the world kind of hates Christians? Right. Uh, well, at least true Christians. True Christians, yeah. yes. Uh, I love old quotes. And one of my favorites is, he who leads when no one follows is simply taking a walk. Yeah. Uh, and so if, if we have somebody who does not have a good reputation, people are not going to want to follow that person. Uh, and so first within the church, uh, if, if we say this person is going to be one of our leaders and everybody goes, he's not a good guy. Mm. You know, the church is going to lose confidence, not just in that particular person, but he's, the church is going to lose confidence in those who said, follow this man. Yeah. He is worthy to be followed. And so his reputation uh, of godly character and, and living out these qualifications is so important first within the church because people aren't going to follow somebody that they don't like, that they don't... Um, esteem or find honorable or worthy of respect, you know, that first qualification dignified. Well, I I was just thinking when you said that non-Christians can look at these deacon qualifications we find in verse eight. uh, Is he dignified? Is he respectable? Is he a man of integrity or is he somebody Mm -hmm. who's not to be trusted? Yeah. Uh, They can look at, is he double tongued? Does he, 
Is he dishonest? Is he lying? Uh, is he manipulative in his business dealings? Uh, is he a drunk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. whether it's drunk with wine or like indulging in something else to try and fill those voids. And then it affects his work performance. Yeah. They, they can look at that. Is he uh, greedy for dishonest gain? You know, he will yeah. tear you down so he can get to the top of the corporate ladder. Yeah. I, you don't have to be a Christian to critique somebody by that. Like yeah. a non-believer can come along and go, I wouldn't trust this guy. Yep. And I, I, that's super important that we heed that call of reputation. Yeah. And especially with the church, one of our missions to be a beacon of light in our communities. If our community goes, they have some crummy leaders. They have the the bottom of the barrel kind of leaders. Right. You're not much of a beacon of light to that community. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people go or think, well, it doesn't matter what the outside world thinks of us. And to a degree, that's that's true. If they think we're kooks because we believe in one true God, we stand strong and firm on His Word. Then yeah, we'll take that all day long. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but if the world looks down on us because we're double tongued, we don't have integrity. Um, we have loose morals, uh, then that's totally different. Yeah, absolutely. That's totally different. Good. Yeah, it, it, it's the, I don't want to listen to you because what you're saying uh, agrees with the Bible and disagrees with my uh, non-Christian worldview. It, mm-hmm. it calls me to forsake my sin. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. we should expect that. Yeah. But if... Every time we talk about Jesus, they're like, why should I listen to you? Like, you talk like just the rest of us. You've destroyed yep. your marriage like the rest of us. You've mm-hmm. destroyed your business like the rest. You have, you have nothing to offer. Yeah. That's a shame on the gospel in the yeah. church. Yeah. And I think that's why Paul says um, elsewhere, he says, live in such a way that when uh, the world speaks evil of you, it is to their shame. Yeah. Um, in other words, they don't have a leg to stand on when they speak evil of you. So yeah, it is so important. Good. So primarily we've been talking, we'll just fast forward in your sermon here. Yes, yes. Uh, Primarily talking about elders, deacons, specifically looking at deacons here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, there's this tendency inside the church to look at it and go, it's sort of us and them. Us, people who populate the church, them, the leaders, who it's their God-given responsibility to do everything for me. Right. Well, I sit on the sidelines and watch you do everything I need. Uh, like, is this just for spiritual superstars? What's the call to the congregation? And uh, we, we kind of alluded to that earlier that, you know, it's not deacons and elders. They're both held to the same standard. Yeah. Now it's not church people and elders and deacons. We find the qualifications for both elders and deacons, uh, other than the able to teach for elders, every other qualification is spoken of elsewhere in Scripture as a character trait of anybody who considers himself a Christian. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's the uh, being honorable and respectable, respectable um, to be absent of crude behavior or uh, speech, blameless in your conduct. There are multiple passages that speak to the fact that every Christian is to act in a manner that is honorable. Every Christian is to avoid uh, crude behavior or crude speech. Uh, Every Christian is to be blameless in their conduct. Uh, Is every Christian supposed to be morally or sexually pure? You know, the um, 
Well, yeah. Yes. The answer I mean, is yes. The answer is yes. You seem like you were struggling. <laughs> the answer like, is yes. I, I think so. <laughs> so. The answer is yes. Um, uh, yeah, we're <laughs> Ephesians. We're all supposed to uh, put away sexu- uh, sexual impurity and, and immorality. Uh, is every Christian supposed to avoid uh, materialism, a love of the world, you know, where it talks about dishonest gain? Uh, that's a materialistic uh, worldview is every Christian supposed to avoid that? First John says, "Yes, do not love the world nor the things of the world." Uh, is every Christian supposed to deal honestly and put away lying? Well, Ephesians says, "Therefore, having put away falsehood," I think that makes it pretty clear. Sure. Um, is every Christian supposed to to exhibit self control and not be given over to or addicted to anything? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, the last one mentioned is self-control. And Paul says that all things are lawful. In other words, yeah, it's okay to do it, but I'm not going to be dominated or bound or controlled by anything. In other words, it might not be something that's wrong, like wine, women, and work. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But I'm not going to be controlled by that thing. Uh, Because again, that means that thing is an idol. Yeah. Uh, Is... Uh, every Christian parent expected to raise their children, manage their household well, raise their children in a way that honors the Lord. Uh, we're all familiar with the verse, children, honor your father and mother. The following verse is, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but rather train them up mm-hmm. in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Uh, so we see that with all of these qualifications, they're to be true of every Christian, which in the end means, whether it's an elder or a deacon, it's not they're a superstar Christian. It's simply that they are a Christian who is genuinely living out their faith. Yeah, uh, and that that is what qualifies a man to be an elder or deacon. We look at a man and go by the quality of his life, by the way he acts, by the way he speaks. He is a Christian. Yeah, uh, and yeah. so that's that's ultimately what it boils down to: is is he a genuine Christian living out his faith? Yeah. Uh, just like every Christian should. Yeah. In fact, I thought when you said it earlier, uh, the the real distinction between the calls uh, and qualifications of an elder and that of a deacon is the elder has to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. But then elsewhere in Scripture, to all Christians, we find be ready to give a defense. Yes. Uh, be ready to give an explanation for the hope, the faith that you mm-hmm. have to whoever asks in the moment. Yeah. Which. Some people are like, well, I could never get up in front of people and, you know, preach. And I, I don't know how to put a sermon together, but our lives are declaring a sermon yep. that sometimes right in the middle of the day, the guy in the factory next to you and goes, man, my life is so jacked up. Like, what mm-hmm. is it with you? Like, how, how do you always seem to just sort of see the optimistic side or have faith or, you know, what, what makes you different and being yep. able to hopefully not describe it in the list of moral things that you keep that are different from him. Right. But man, it, it is born out of this faith of God, this salvation that God has given us. Yep. Uh, I think that's so important. And we're yeah. all called to that. Yeah. And I love the, uh, the verse, you know, first Peter three fifteen. I love when he says, be ready to give a, a reason. Yeah. Uh, and the word reason means a, a well thought out response. In other words, we're to be prepared. Yeah, it's it's something that we've thought through, and when somebody asks, we're not like Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, that's a good answer, Jesus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it means we are to 
to have thought this through and and be ready with a thought through response and not a you know like the the typical mormon response i felt a warmth in my bosom right um not my that mormon religion not john mormon yes yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah absolutely that's a good point that we are all to be ready for that and uh one thing with all this when we start talking about qualifications for a deacon and well this is every christian who should be like this uh, and the question is and why isn't every christian qual christian man qualified to be a deacon and that's a good question why isn't every yeah. christian man qualified to be a deacon because if a if a christian man says i'm not qualified to be a deacon what he is actually saying is i am not living my life as i ought to yeah since what's laid out is simply you need to be living like a christian uh, and, you know, people say that living like that, living the way God calls us to is incredibly difficult. Uh, and I could not disagree more. I don't think it is difficult at all uh, to live the Christian life. I think it's impossible. Uh, and I think God wants us to know that. Right. Um, I know people who have done difficult things. Um, uh, and when they do these difficult things, difficult things uh, sir edmund hillary climbing mount everest or jerry shackleton um exploring antarctica difficult things they did them and their names have gone down in history as great men because they achieved difficult things and so if we if the christian life is difficult and we achieve it we should go down in history and our names should be acclaimed which means god is robbed of his glory yeah so i think the christian life is not difficult it is impossible because then, when only by the grace of God we live the Christian life, then God alone is the one who can get the glory for it. Because obviously, if it's impossible, it's not because not because of me. It's because of the grace of God. Uh, so I think that's that's an important distinction to make with all these qualifications. It's not about I'm going to strive harder to be qualified. Yeah. It's I need to throw myself at the mercy of God and ask for Him to lavish His grace upon me so that I can be who he's called me yeah. to be. And it doesn't mean that people can't live in a certain way. Right. Uh, you can live in a way that's dignified, that's not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, and not believe the gospel, not mm -hmm. believe in Jesus. Yeah. But yeah. it's impossible, apart from faith, to please God. Yes. It, it's impossible for us, because sin has bent us in a an earthly self-centered direction, no matter how much good uh, it, uh, all the philanthropists of the world, uh, how much good they do, how much money they give, they can't buy their way into heaven. <laughs> mm -hmm. They can't buy their way into, you know, uh, coming out of the Reformation, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Yeah. And it's only when the Holy Spirit in the power of Christ fills, regenerates from death to life, a sinner's heart that all of a sudden God changes the way we think and what we want. He connects us with other people that helps us grow up into that. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe a good question as, as we look at that is, you know, why not, why can't everybody be a deacon? Uh, part of that is right now. Like you have some great kids, just, <laughs> just wonderful children who hit me up for candy every single week. <laughs> and, uh, if you like, you know, brought him into church and be like, you know, why can't you drive home, Killian? You know, mm -hmm. Killian's what three? Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, don't let the fact that you can't see over the steering wheel stop you. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll stack some stuff up. You know, uh, you're driving home, buddy. I, we wouldn't expect him to do that mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Later on, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not at the steering wheel in control of your life, uh, yep. you're expecting other people to do it for you. We would say that's a huge problem. Yes. And I, I think part of the problem with churches is we have this idea we're going to build the biggest, best church in town as opposed to we're going to be constantly going out for the sake of the gospel. Yes. Uh, whether it's reaching out to our neighbors or going to the other side of the world to those who have no access to the gospel, that we need to be, it, it's what we see with Paul and Timothy here in First Timothy, uh, going to these churches, raising up elders, raising up deacons, raising mm-hmm. up people to serve the gospel in that pocket, in this pocket. Yes. Um, but I think one of the things that you said yesterday was so impactful is most of the time when we say, well, I could never do that. We're not actually saying I could never go serve in that capacity. What we're actually saying is there's, there's an area of sin in my life that I'm not mm-hmm. willing to let go of. Yeah. And therefore, I'm disqualified from this because I want to hold on to this sin. Yes. I, yes. That's dangerous. Yeah. That's deadly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the wonderful thing about it is that it's, it is all about the grace of God. That when God lays out these qualifications, he's not picking and choosing who can and can't be. He's saying, by the grace of God, you can all be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for those of us in the church, how do, we, how do we think about this? How do we apply it to our life? Uh, how should we be praying as the Holy Spirit searches our heart in response to this? Uh, on, on two different fronts, um, the one being how do we as a church apply this as we're looking at starting deacon ministry, uh, as we start thinking through who could, who would make a good deacon. We don't look at who has administrative skills, yeah. who has contractor experience, who has this skill, that skill, this experience. Um, those are all completely secondary because we notice, again, as we've mentioned several times, all of these qualifications listed here are about the man's character. Sure. Nothing about his skills or experience. Uh, so the first thing we need to do as we, as a church, are praying through who should be our deacons is to first look at who has demonstrated the character qualities of a deacon. Uh, and we don't want to make the mistake of thinking, well, once they're made a deacon, they'll act like a deacon. You become a deacon because you are already demonstrating everything there is about being a deacon, mm-hmm. including how is that person already actively involved in serving the church? Um, it's kind of like in marriage when a girl is looking at a man and saying, well, w- once we get married, I can change him. Yeah. No, that, that's not the way it works in marriage, as m- many people have discovered. Yeah. Um, it's the same way when we're looking at deacons. We need to see men who exhibit all of these character qualities and are already serving and not think, well, once we make them a deacon, then they'll be this way. Uh, Are they already this way? That means they are deacons. They just haven't been voted on yet. Uh, And if there are men who are skilled and experienced in different things, pass over those men in favor of men who may be less experienced, less skilled, who dis- display this godly character in life, who can then, as deacons, take these skilled and experienced men, disciple them, and organize them into 
service teams to get the job done. Yeah. Now, it's not saying that we don't value those experience or those skills, but just as God in these qualifications values godliness more, that godliness then it can then make use of yeah. skills and experience. And we hope they have a, a basic level of skills. <laughs> yes. But, uh, so much of that is taught, is learned. Yes. They're going to grow deeper into that. Yeah. And those things can be honed. Yes. I, I'm sure at the end of uh, Act 6, when they're they're picking these seven guys to help with the food distribution, uh, they weren't like, well, you have a history in the food service. I mean, that's <laughs> like, we, we can teach you how to do these things. Yes. Uh, you can grow up into these things. Uh, but what we see trailing behind that, which is why Stephen sticks out. So many people were getting saved and healed through mm-hmm. his food delivery. Like you yeah. don't see that with Grubhub, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, it's just a whole nother level of recognizing God's faithfulness in your life and your faithfulness in response to that, yep. uh, that uniquely qualifies them as yeah. deacons. Yeah. So yeah, that's on the, on the, the first front, as we're looking at deacon ministry, I think that's what we need to do as we pray through how to choose deacons who has stood out because of their godly character and their servanthood already. Um, on the other front, the way we can apply this as a church is, are these things true about me? Yeah. Um, since they are, as we've seen throughout scripture to be true of every Christian, am I walking in such a way that I would actually fulfill these qualifications? Sure. Um, am I walking in a way that the overarching character of my life is that I am blameless? Uh, so uh, those are, I think, are the, the two most important ways we can apply uh, this as we look through these these qualifications for a deacon. Yeah. So. And I, I think maybe a good reminder to all of us is... Uh, that should be the goal of all of our Christian life, that we're constantly mm-hmm. reforming closer and closer to Scripture. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, somebody might be listening to this going like, I don't know, I'll never do it. Uh, after the service yesterday, I actually sent a message to all of our elders that said, hey, we should do better in this area. Yes. Like we yes. should, it, here's what we're trying to do. Let's do even better at this. Mm-hmm. Like let's recognize where we're falling short and, I, I think in the Christian life, if we don't have that as our starting place, like I'm always, I'm going to give it a hundred percent, but I'm also going to go like, man, here's where I've sh- fallen short of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Repent of sin, ask for help, you know, dig in, uh, be more faithful today. If God's mercy is new today, I can try again. Yep. And I, I think we have to start with that. Like I can give it a go. Yes. And that's great. Yep. So one of the things you encourage people to do yesterday is to, uh, think of two or three guys in the church. Mm, yes. Uh, talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, as Over the next couple of weeks, uh, just encouraging them to think over and pray over, um, asking for God's wisdom and, and looking at the different men of our church going, who do I see who has displayed this kind of godly character and servanthood? And then as you pray through that, whether you want to text it to us, email it to us, write it on a piece of paper, hand it to us, um, just to one of the elders, uh, you, myself, uh, Pastor Harold, any of the elders, yep. uh, just get that information to us. And then just like the apostles said, choose out from among yourselves and then we will appoint them. Uh, so then the, once we get all these names, then we as elders can go through all these names and, uh, again, pray for God's wisdom. Yep. Uh, and especially, I'd say also, 
uh, pray for the elders as we seek. It's not just a matter of, okay, now we got these names, you guys are all deacons. Um, how, what is that going to look like? What's deacon ministry going to look like at Eden? Yeah. Um, I mean, the church in Jerusalem probably had close to 15,000 members. That's slightly, slightly bigger. 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 <laughs> yes. Just a little bit. Uh, and so it's going to look different at each church. And we as elders got to figure out how it's going to look at Eden. Yeah. Um, so also pray for us. I'd encourage people to pray for us. But yeah, um, get a list of two or three names of men, again, not who have skills and experience in the forefront, but men who have godly character. And if they got skills, I think of Napoleon Dynamite every time I say got <laughs> skills. Uh, <laughs> so. Both staff skills. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like you said, we definitely would like to have men who are skilled and have experience. Um, so if, if first they've got godly character, write them down. And if they've got the skills and experience, write them down twice. Good. So, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, get that, get that list to us. Awesome. Awesome. Good. Well, thanks for uh, walking us through this. Thanks for oh. preaching twice uh, <laughs> effectively in the last two days. Uh, I hope for those of you who've been joining us, it's uh, kind of helped you get an idea of what we were thinking with deacons. Uh, again, we... We don't want to base it on what we've done before, what, what we've experienced in other churches before. Uh, we want to search the Word of God and say, how can we be more faithful as a congregation to God's Word? Yes. Um, so yeah, just be praying for the church, for the elders as we do that, uh, and also that God would just lead us in that. Yes. So. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. God yes. bless you, and hopefully we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.